All right, let's pray. Father, as we do come to your word and, and uh, really kind of change gears here in Ephesians as Paul often does in a lot of his letters as he goes from the doctrinal and explanation of who we are, what you've done for us, now we get, and what that means, now we get into how do we practically make that happen and a reality in our life. So I pray tonight that once again we would hear your heart for us. Paul's writing to a group of Gentile Christians that are, again, they're kind of, uh, they're in a place and, and uh, having a difficult time culturally and what's going on around them with their culture. And he's explaining to them who they are and what that means. And it's the same for us, Lord. I, I just pray, God, that you would do just that mighty work tonight in our hearts and that your word would come alive and that we could leave here tonight just strengthened and built up in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for three chapters, Paul's been telling us who we are, what Christ has done, that, you know, that we're part of this unique family. And he's even broken it down to, you know, the fact that there's no longer racial or ethnicity barriers or social barriers, that we're, we're part of this thing that God has done. Now he gets into that real practical part. If that is true in your life, then this should be the consequences of it. And I think we kind of know that in a lot of areas in our life, but it seems like when it comes to the Lord, we kind of like get in some kind of weird fog. Like most of us know, when you make a decision in your life, it's gonna influence other things, and you're gonna be influenced by that decision. There's gonna be consequences. Well, what Paul's trying to get across is, because this is true in your life, here's the consequences, and they're good consequences. Here's what should be happening. Now, I wanna make it clear, he's not saying, like I was reading one commentary and they were saying, well, if you believe one through three, then you have to do four, five, and six. Here's the way I look at it. If one through three is true, then four, five, and six are gonna be true in your life because it's gonna come out of you. We joke sometimes about me being from Bisbee and the things that that implies and consequences of that. But there is a thing in me, and maybe it's just that, that kind of, you know, potter, artistic part of me that I really believe things need to be organic. What Paul is talking about, especially in the beginning of chapter four, you can't plan that, you can't strategize that, you can't make a, you know, a spreadsheet or something to make that happen. It's gotta come out of you. And it's got to come out of the fact that Jesus has done a work in your life. So that's this whole thing. So I don't want us to look, and especially at this first part, I don't want us to look at this as a formula for good Christian living. This is, this is what should be true because Jesus died for your sins, because you are seated in the heavenly places, because you are part of this one unique body that he has put together. All of this should be true. So having thinking, you know, thinking about that, he begins to, again, I love the way he begins. Look at verse one. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, now, listen, here's what I like. Number one, the therefore is there because of chapters one, two, and three. If you haven't been with us in the last few months, go back and read those. Just read them real, you know, even tonight, it might be good to read those before you go to sleep and go, wow, that's true in my life. But then I like the idea Paul once again brings up, and notice what he says, because I think this is important. 
In a letter to Ephesians, he never says, I'm a prisoner of Rome. What does he say? I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Here's what Paul realizes. The good, the bad, the ugly are all the hand of God in his life. Now, that, listen, I know for some of us that like, that'll freak you out. But you need to know something, man. Either God is in control or he's not. And all the stuff that comes has to come through his fingers one way or another. And I'm not saying that, you know, God is, a, is the author of evil. But, hey, if we look at things in our life and, you know, you end up in jail because you're standing for the faith, don't get mad at the system. Enjoy the fact that God is working his plan. That's, that's the way I look at it. So he says, hey, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now, here's what he says. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, so here's the heart of Paul. Listen, the heart of Paul is because this is true in your life, this should be the outworking of it. And I love the idea. He says, I beg you. And here's what, well, you know, that beseech there is more like I beg you. Now, here's an interesting thing. In Romans, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are doctrine. And he's laying it all out. He's telling us all of this stuff that's true. And then 12.1, a lot of us have that memorized, right? 12.1 says, I beseech you, there's that word again, I beg you, right, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable or spiritual service. So the same thing, right? And so when he's saying to do this, listen, he's not saying to do this mechanically, like, okay, I read chapter four, verse one, or I read Romans 12, one. Now I'm gonna do this. No, here's what he's saying. Let this come out of you. Let this flow from you. Like, as Christians, we should be different than the world. And I think a lot of us are, and that's why we get freaked out when things happen in the world and we don't agree with things. But the problem is, I think a lot of us then want the world to be like us. The world can only be like us if they know Jesus. And that's the only way they're going to be like us. So here's what he's saying, though. We should be different in the sense that people would ask us. I always like this idea, what happened to you? you if you've been with us very long, I, I kind of sometimes I say, you know, it's too bad when we get saved, like that our nose doesn't get put on the side of our face. And then it's over there, and people would have to then ask, what happened to you, Jesus? Would you like to know Jesus? Now, listen, I know that's kind of a bad illustration because most people are going to go, I don't want my nose on the side of my face. But do you get my point? We should be that different that the world would look at us and see something different. We shouldn't be, well, I'm kind of getting ahead, but we shouldn't be bickering and arguing and, you know, all in, and down and sad and feisty. And we should be, listen, we should be these people. So here's what he says. He says, hey, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, we, we gotta think about something because all of us, if, if you're born again today, you were called. You were called to be part of the body of Christ. And 
I believe he's talking about that general calling, but even having said that, aren't you glad that we're not like cookie cutter Christians, that we all don't look the same, dress the same, act the same, have the same, hey, we're different, and it, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a big band or something. You have tons of different instruments, but they gotta play the same notes, right? For it to be cohesive. You and I, listen, we're all, we're coming from so many different places, but when we come together, there should be, and we're gonna look at it, there should be that sense of unity that we're moving forward. And I'm talking about the universal church. I'm not just talking about us guys here at Calvary Chapel that, you know, I'm talking about the universal church, and, and it should be powerful and effective in this world, and we should be making, so here's what he's saying, man. I'm begging you to realize who you are in Christ and walk in that. Do you believe you're seated in heavenly? Some of you go, no, I'm kind of thinking I'm sitting right here in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and this is heavenly, so I'm bummed, man. I got ripped off. But you know what, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus has a plan for your life? Do you believe he called you from the foundations of the world? Do you believe he placed you in this body? See, if that's true, and that's why he's saying I beg you, if you really believe that, then hey, walk worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Again, not to earn something, but to allow that to come out of you. Listen, I believe God sees in us as believers so much potential. And isn't it interesting with a lot of the disciples how he would change their name from who they were to what he saw they could be? And, and I think it's the same with us. He may not change their name, but man, I think the Lord like looks at us, did you ever have a teacher tell you in school, you have so much potential and you're wasting it? I heard that daily. <laughs> Actually, I kind of heard it hourly. But, and the Lord looks at us and, and he knows, he knows. So walk worthy of that calling. Now, as he talks about that, here's what I'm thinking. He, he kind of throws that out there and, and again, Paul wasn't writing some mechanical thing. He wasn't just being a, you know, a dictaphone for God and just blah, 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 blah. And I, I think as he's writing that, he's going, okay, let's, let's look at some practical aspects. How does one walk worthy of their calling? What, what does that look like practically in a person's life? So he lays out these things, and, and I think they're great, and, and, and he gives them to us, and here's what he tells us. He says, listen, I want you to walk with all lowliness and gentleness, or it might say humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Listen, as he's putting these things together, he's got an idea. This is what it looks like for someone who's walking worthy of the calling. Number one, and I think it's the foremost of all of them, is that lowliness or humility. Do you know that in the Greek language, there wasn't a word for humility. They despise that whole idea. And it's actually, you know, most say that, that Paul kind of coined the phrase and, and came up with the whole idea because they would, they would think, hey, if you're, if, you know, you need to be a go-getter, you need to be strong, you need to be first of your class, you need to win, you need to go for it. Kind of sound like America. And you need to climb to the top and it doesn't matter who you climb over, you need to do these things, you need to be successful. And that even creeps in the church, doesn't it? 
I mean, sometimes churches begin to compete with each other, right, in, in a community. You know, one church, one church will bash, bash another church because I don't want you going to that church. We here at Calvary Chapel have sent people to churches all throughout our city, and they're all over. We're ecumenical in that sense. They just leave here and go to other churches. And, hey, when people, I don't tell people, don't go to that church. Hey, if you can't be fed here and encouraged here and nourished here, find a place where you can, and even, you know, Saturday, doing this thing on Saturday with Village Meadows, I forgot to announce that, the National Day of Prayer, going to that. Hey, we're going to work in conjunction when, when, when we can. So here's what he's saying, though. You're not going to do that if you're full of pride. When people have that sense of pride, they're not going to be any of the other things that he lists here because you want to get over people, you want to win, you want to be the top, you want to do things. If you have that sense of humility and you're willing to be that person who, you know what, and, and it's interesting, I, I have some definitions for humility and people keep trying to, to write about it and they go, the thing with humility is once you think you got it, you lost it, you know, kind of thing. So, so here's the thing, I love this definition the best. I think it was, I don't, I don't know who wrote it, maybe C.S. Lewis, somebody they said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And when we come to that point, when we eliminate self and we begin to allow God to be in control, doesn't matter what I want, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter if I think this would make me more successful or whatever term, all I want to do, all I want to do is what God wants me to do, is what he has put in front of me. And that's that sense you're submitting yourself to God. Proud people don't do that. Proud people don't submit to anybody. So as he's saying this, listen, as he's saying this, I think, again, I think, man, that's something we gotta get a hold of, and it's difficult for us. And then, then he tells us, listen, not only do we have to be humble or lowliness, then we gotta be gentle people. Gentleness. It's interesting, you look that up in the dictionary, and it kind of talks about somebody who's weak, because we might use the word meekness. And you look it up in a, a dictionary today, it's somebody who's weak, cowardly, doesn't do things. And biblically, it means just the opposite. Biblically, it means a person who has power under control. I always like the idea, like, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big horse guy, but when you look at the power of a horse, I think especially, you know, you look at, they just did the Kentucky Derby. You look at those horses and their muscle and what they're doing, and this little bitty guy gets on top of them and holds on, I guess. I don't know what else he's doing. And that horse just, right? But all of that power is under the control of that little guy who's sitting on there. Power under control. And I always, I always think of horses when I think of that is because they're so powerful, but yet when you get them under control, you can do a lot of good with them. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about gentleness or, or meekness, that we're that kind of people. Now, again, in the last couple weeks, we've been looking at this passage. You know, it's something I think either God's trying to get across to me or maybe all of us. But again, we look at the passage in Matthew 11, 28, and 29. Come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, what does he say? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, 
for I am gentle, meek, and I'm lowly in heart, humble, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't think either one of these things, humility and, and meekness, they don't come natural. They're not a natural thing you're born with. But if I'm walking with Jesus and I allow Jesus to come through me and I allow that thing organically, we're back to that, begin to happen, guess what happens when he starts like coming up out of me? I'm humble and I'm meek. And again, that doesn't mean you're a doormat, doesn't mean you let people do things, but it means you have that power under control. And, and I think about that and, and then I think, man, now I can start walking worthy of my calling by which I was called. Now, he doesn't just stop there. Listen, now out of that, and again, I think these build on each other. Out of that, he says, hey, you're gonna do that with long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, the patience part, if you've been part of our fellowship at all, you know that's a hard part. Long-suffering to me is like long-suffering. It's like suffering for a long, long, long time, even if it's 15 minutes. <laughs> and I think of these things, you know, and, and I gotta think of men like Abraham, Moses, David, that long-suffering and here's the great thing. I believe once you really know where God wants you to go and the direction you want him to go, you can wait. You can get to that place. Like, I'm not patient in life. I'm not patient in lines. I don't like lines. I don't like to, you know, I'll switch lines 10 times in the store. My game now gets so mad at me. Seriously, we're changing again? Yeah, that one's moving faster. <laughs> Sometimes I go to one and go back to the other one. Because that one started moving faster. And she like, sometimes she just leaves. I'm going to the bathroom. You figure this out. So in life, I'm not that way. But in ministry, God gives me that patience. Why? Because it's his ministry. And I can wait on the Lord, and I can wait on the Lord. I've even had some people say, why aren't you doing this? Because he hasn't said to go yet. He said, get ready on your marks, set, and then it's a long time. And we just wait, and I think that is extremely important, and I think it's one of the hardest things. I think, I think especially if you're younger and you feel called, hey, you don't wanna wait, you don't wanna wait a year, much less five years, or 10 years, or 15 years, when you think of, think of Abraham, how long? Think of, think of Moses, 40 Years after he got all grown up, 40 years. David, it's right in front of him, right? David could have taken the office right away. He, he had Saul in a cave, man. He could have done it. I'm gonna wait for the Lord. So that's what I look at there. And again, I think that long-suffering or patience can only come from somebody who's humble and meek. Because here's the thing, you don't think you deserve it. You, you're not putting yourself, I hear some people say, well, you know I should be king of the jungle. Well, you're not. And you're not gonna be king of the jungle ever because you got that attitude. And we have to be careful, and again, especially in ministry. Now, there are times where you can, you know, I, I see this, I really wanna do this, I wanna make this happen. But in my life, in my testimony, I am so glad that God put 
certain people in my life, I think especially my wife, and I was, quote, held back from doing something really stupid. And some of us, as we walked for a while, we know, man, that was good. You know, I even think, I even think of being here in this facility when we went to move into town, some of you know the story, we're out on Hereford Road, I wanted to move into town. I would go places, this is crazy, I would go places that were vacant and I would go ask them to give me the building because we didn't have any money. And Robert Furrow used to tell me, you just embarrass me. And I'd go, why do I embarrass you? You're in Tucson, what do you care what I do? It doesn't reflect on you. I don't like announce you that we're friends. Hey, Robert Furrow and I are friends, will you give me this building? I don't usually do that. I may next time. <laughs> but you, and I said, well, I said, my Bible says you have not because you ask not. And I figure, you know, well, we never did get anything that way. It never really worked out for it. One time, one time a, a company said, well, we're not going to use that building for anything. And I said, then perfect. It's great for a church. But anyway, my point is I looked here, I looked there, it was all over. And look where God put us. If you dropped a pin on a map of service, you can be more central than where we are. And you know what? Never even looked at these properties, these two combined here. Never even looked at them, never even crossed our mind. But God has a plan. And there's that kind of, sometimes he uses others to make us patient, you know what I mean? Like people saying, no, you can't have that building. So that waiting on him and knowing that he's gonna do what he's gonna do, and then, and then, listen, not only that, being long-suffering, but I think this kind of brings it down to kind of the nitty-gritty, bearing with one another in love. Can I put that in today's terms? Putting up with each other. We're not all gonna be best friends, and some of us aren't even gonna like each other. We're just not. We're kind of different personalities, coming from different places. And, you know, we might look at each other and smile and think, eh, I'm not like coming over for dinner, that's for sure. <laughs> but when he's talking about bearing, here's what he's saying. Because of agape, we're going to be there for each other. And we're going to be together. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to, and you're going to, Put up with some things you don't necessarily like because we're part of the body of Christ. And that's what the body of Christ does. I don't like it when you do that. Well, put up with it. God put me in your life. <laughs> and that whole idea, but I think it goes a little bit further because here's the thing. If you're bearing with one another in love, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna end up loving that person. You're not gonna end up, you know, with the, you know, the romantic type thing or whatever, or best friend thing, but you're gonna end up with that agape thing where you're gonna genuinely care about that person and you're gonna do things for that person expecting nothing in return. That's agape love. You're gonna, you're gonna be, you're gonna look at them and you're gonna think, man, maybe they need some help. Maybe they need this. Maybe they need that. And, and in your mind, you're going, man, that would be the farthest thing from my mind two years ago. But since I have grown in humility and I've grown in meekness and since I've come to the place where I'm long-suffering, then you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do this. 
And do you, do you see what Paul is getting at? Listen, here's what he's getting at. We need to be the church. We need to start acting like the body of Christ because that's what we are. And the body of Christ will move forward when the people of God begin to take ownership in their part of it and they begin to allow this stuff to flesh out of them this humility and this meekness and this long-suffering and this enduring with love and then all of a sudden, listen, all of a sudden we become a force in the world that the world can't. How do I stop that? How do you stop something like that? Just think about, just think about that definition of all of that. Someone who's humble and meek, somebody who's patient, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna rattle them, you're not gonna get to them. Why, they're patient, and they're meek, they're not gonna budge. And there's somebody, listen, and then they have that endurance. Loving other people's not a sprint, saints. We gotta love each other to the end. And we're gonna do it, and as he begins to do that, listen, as I begin to process that, just process that in my mind, here's what I think, man, 12 guys did this, a couple millenniums ago. Well, actually, 11, they picked another one up on the way. But they did this. And they changed the world. Man, look how many people we have just here on a Thursday night. I think if we really, truly believed who we are in Christ, this stuff would organically start coming out of us and uh, we'd, change, we'd change the face of Sierra Vista in a matter of weeks. So not only that, listen, not only are we doing that, then here's the big one in verse three, and this is a hard one some people get or, or have a hard time with, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This whole thing of unity, you know, when we become unified, we can do some great things. He doesn't say uniformed, because if you become uniformed, then we're all gonna have to dress alike, get our hair cut alike, look alike, etc. Unity means we have core values that we're gonna stick together in, and they're gonna become a reality in our life, and we're gonna move forward with them. Any of you ever join any kind of organization? I think everybody has in here. If you're, you know, you're, there's something, and I really want to be part of that. Maybe in school you want to be part of, of some club and, and you got in. Maybe you want to be even part of some clique. So you start cutting your hair different, start wearing your clothes different, start looking different so you could fit in. And we tend to do that. But here's what he's telling you. And I mean, as Christians, Christianity is this. Not Christianity's plural. Christianity is People are doing this, and we become unified by the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not compromising. Listen, he's not saying, hey, we got to give this up. And that's the problem I see with a lot of the church, the big church talking about. They, people want to compromise certain things. Well, we, we, can, we could become unified if you guys weren't so stuck on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we're not going to give up on that, are we? Well, we could become more, you know, we could become more unified if you would just kneel and worship Mary. We're not going to do that. So we need to understand things. Listen, when he's talking about unity, he's not talking about compromise. What he's talking about is you come together and, yeah, you can be humble and meek, but you can still stand your ground and you can be somebody and then you become unified by the Spirit. Are you getting, hey, it's him who unifies us. Not us, we don't, we don't work for unity, and that's the problem, I believe, 
with much of the church at large. Well, we, if we just work at it, we could reinterpret this where he says, endeavor, here he says endeavoring to keep, or we could say maintain. Because we're born again by the Spirit of God, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, because we're saved by the blood of Jesus, we already have unity. We're already in this thing together. We have to endeavor to maintain that. And here's the way I interpret it. How do we maintain unity? By maintaining truth. And we'll get into this in a minute. But listen, he's not saying you and I have a compromise because I hear people say, well, if we could all just get along and get around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, we'd be fine. I'm not gonna get around and sing Kumbaya with you if I don't know you and I don't know what you believe. It's not gonna happen. So he says, hey, let's endeavor, think about that, let's work really hard to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So Jesus has already done that. Now he lays out seven things here that is going to make that bond of peace happen. Are you with me? So he gives us, listen, he gives us the things that are gonna make the unity true in our lives, the humility, the meekness, the long-suffering, the love, and then now, listen, now he says, hey, here's the things that make the unity happen. And I love this. In verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called by one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and who is and through all and in you all. Not y'all, but you all. Wow. It's like, it's like sometimes people think unity and, you know, even, I think even in, our, even in our nation, wouldn't it be great if our nation would get more unified? Quit all the bickering and fighting and arguing and, and just smearing and hating. Yeah. But some people think unity means, you know, I have to tolerate and I have to do things. And, you know, when, when you get into tolerating things, you're going to only tolerate so long and you're going to, I don't care which side you're on, you're going to lose it. That's not what he's talking about. Here's what he's talking about. We have this unity because we have this faith. So he starts out with this. Listen, he starts out with this and he does all these ones. There's seven ones, if you will, if you're keeping track. There's one body. Most of us understand that, right? He's not talking about our physical bodies. What he's talking about, there's one body of Christ. We're all part of this one body. We're his body. And yeah, we're all different. We have different parts. You know, aren't you glad you're, your hand doesn't try and be your foot and your foot doesn't try to be your hand and et cetera. It's good. It works together so we can function, right? So we can move around. So we need to be the same. But listen, we're one body. I don't think that's a hard one. One spirit. I don't think that's difficult. I think most people believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. We can talk about cults, don't. But I'm talking about Christianity, just within Christianity. I don't think there's a huge argument on the Holy Spirit as a person, as one who works and, and one does that. So again, I don't think, you know, it's, it's interesting as, as reading some of the commentaries, they went on and on. And then he says, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. Now again, what's the hope of our calling? When you think about, when you think about, again, general calling, we were called, he says, walk worthy of your calling by which you were called. We were called into the body of Christ. What is the hope of that? I think the hope of that's glory, right? That's my hope. 
Yeah, and he says, listen, all of us have, we have this thing. Here's what he's letting us know. Why don't we focus on what we have in common and not worry about, hey, we can argue about the rapture, we can argue about, you know, the, you know all of these different theological things, and I was thinking of some, but they might be, some of you might, I might put that in your head and then you'll get messed up. But listen, man, we can start arguing about all that, and it doesn't really matter. What really matters, we're one body. We have one spirit working within us. We have this hope of glory. That's what matters. And listen, he's not done as he's laying these out. So he says, listen, man, we have this one hope of our calling, one Lord, right? There's only one Jesus. It always bothers me. Some people go, well, you know, Jesus is my personal savior. When they tell me that, I go, what are you talking about? Well, I kind of personalized him. He's like an accessory, right? Well, I personalized him, and you know, the Bible says I need a personal savior, and I personalized him. What do you mean you personalized him? Well, I didn't like the Bible one, so I made my own. We have one Lord, right? We all worship the same Jesus, and it's the Jesus of the Bible. Don't be personalizing him like he's like, you know, accessory. Like some people personalize their dogs. That's okay. You can do that with a dog. Don't do that with Jesus. So listen, man. He says, he says we have one Lord and then one faith. What is he talking about one faith? He's not talking about our exercise of faith. He's saying we have one body of truth we believe. Jude, didn't Jude say something about contend for the faith? Again, not talking about the faith we exercise, talking about this body of truth that the apostles, we have one. And again, evangelical Christianity has one Lord, one faith. And now we get to the difficult one, one baptism. And sometimes I think, Paul, why did you even put that in there? Why? And sometimes I think, sometimes I think this is bad. Sometimes I think Paul goes, watch this one. (laughs) And I guess it would be God because it's God's word, right? And God says, I'll just dump this one on there. Now, is there one, and again, reading commentaries, it's so much fun. So I believe, I believe what he's talking about is that we were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. That's the one baptism that everybody has. But there are a whole bunch of people who totally disagree with me, and that's their, you know, that's good. I will endure with them, being long-suffering, and I'm gonna love them through it. But there's a whole bunch that say, no, he's talking about water baptism. How could he, how could he even, and you know, hey, maybe in the first century, I, I'll give the commentaries this, maybe in the first century, I don't think there was a big argument about baptism. I believe they baptized one way. And I believe they baptized by immersion because that's what they practiced as Jews. Hey, you go to Israel, you see the mikvahs where they used to do it, and you, and you understand. And they would have just continued that as they thought about it. So I don't think they were pouring or whatever, you know, that everybody, but, every, and, but today, churches want to argue over this, right? Churches split over this. This is why we have denominations. Some denominations, you got to do it this way. Some, you got to do it this way. And then you got to do it. Listen, here's what I tell people, man. If you want to get baptized, you want to get sprinkled, I don't care. I don't care however it is. If you're making a commitment to the Lord, you can make a commitment to the Lord. 
but I don't think he's talking about water because we're so divided. Here's the whole thing he's saying. We gotta have this unity of spirit in the bond of peace, and then baptism? If that's one thing that doesn't split the church almost more than anything else, it's that issue. So I'm thinking, he's gotta be talking about the fact that when you accept the Lord, the Spirit baptizes you, immerses you into the body of Christ. That's how we get in. I believe that's what he's talking about. You can do water if you want. And you know what? After, after church, you can come up and tell me, Pat, I really think he was talking about water because he's already mentioned the Spirit. And th- this is one of the arguments. He already mentioned the Spirit, so I don't think he'd still be talking about the Spirit. Well, I think he is. So anyway, we have one baptism, right? We all agree on that? Some of you go, no, I don't agree with you. That's fine. And then he gets down kind of to the nitty-gritty of it all. Don't you, don't you love the way he kind of sums this up? So he's gone through six. Now here's number seven. And one God and Father of all. I kind of like that whole idea because I think this is what's going on. Remember, in their culture, their generation, they had Jew and Gentile church, which is not good. The church had to come together. He's already talked about that. He says, there's no, you know, he, he says, we're all one. That wall of separation is broken down. And he's talked about that already, trying to get that to him. But then he says this, I think this would blow the Jewish believers' minds. We have one God and Father. Now that's definitely Judaism, right? Deuteronomy chapter six, hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, right? That's a Shema, what they, 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 they repeat that. That's what's written in the little uh, doorpost things that you put the mezuzahs that you put on your door and if you get that out in the papers in there, that whole Deuteronomy chapter six is in there because it's supposed to be on your doorpost, yada, yada, yada. So all that's in there. So they, they, they know, but here's the thing, Christians, we have one God. We are monotheistic. Now, here's what's kind of crazy. Here's what blows my mind. Having said that, he has brought up Jesus, the Spirit, and now the Father. I'm thinking, how how creative is God, right? It's like you have one God, but listen, right in this one passage, you got to see the Trinity. The Trinity is real, and can we explain it? I don't think we can explain it completely. That's where the element of faith comes in. And we have to walk some things. We have to walk not blind faith. Hey, there's lots of evidence like right here. There's one Lord, right? Okay, we're talking about Jesus. There's, there's one body. It's his body. We understand that. There's one spirit. We understand that. Now there's one God and Father. And it, it sometimes always kind of makes me kind of chuckle when people go, well, we know the God the Father is the first in the Trinity. And I'm going, why do we, the first person? I go, what? That's kind of making it a competition, Right? You got first, second, third. I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure we should do that. But I understand we're just trying to explain things. But here he says, listen, we have this one who is of all, above all. Are you going to yield to God? Is the question here. Listen, and once again, we're down to this. And through all and in you all. Here's what he's letting us know. We have a God who's omnipotent, all-powerful, who's omnipresent everywhere, who's omniscient, he knows everything. And he goes, this is our God. And he says, we need to understand that. And we need to be people who can, who can get that. And once we begin to really understand that, I think we circle all the way back around to verse one. 
and we're gonna walk worthy of the calling by which we were called. Here's what I know for certain. God called me to believe. Absolutely. I was so lost. I was so lost. My wife got saved and I was still lost. I'm talking to the Lord and kind of and having some conversations, although I didn't know it was with him. I thought they were with myself. He was eavesdropping. <laughs> and I so didn't want to get saved. I didn't. So I know, listen, I know for me, I know that God called me and saved me because he changed my thinking. He changed my heart. He changed me. And I want to walk worthy of that. You see, I want to be a person who people look at and they go, man, there's something different about that guy. And again, I'm not talking about weirdness, being from Bisbee and stuff. I'm talking about something, there's something And I believe, listen, I believe when we go into rooms, when we go into places, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? We bring the fragrance of Christ. And I think people should be (laughs) in a good way. (laughs) But you know what I mean? And for some people, that's gonna be repulsive. Some people are gonna hate it. You can bring up Jesus. Some people are just gonna like stiff arm you and get away from you. And you know what? That's on them. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to be angry, you know. Pastor Jack was telling us that he was witnessing to this young guy and this guy said, I don't believe in God. And I love what Pastor Jack answered. He goes, that's okay. But God believes in you. Mmm. Got to hit a heart, man. Hey, you tell someone that, I don't care how hard they are. I don't care how stiff-armed they are. They're going to be, that, that kid's going to be thinking about that for a long time. What did, what did he mean by God believes in me? Maybe even ask another Christian. So saints, don't you think as a church if we were more of four, one through six, don't you think our world would be a lot different? And if we were less of, and here's what we have to ask ourselves. This is, this is heart check time. Am I that person? Or am I one who I keep things stirred up? And I spread gossip. And I'm always bickering. I'm always complaining. I don't like this. I don't like that. This isn't right. That's not right. Am I that person bringing the negativity Or is God really in my heart where I am able to be used by him to accomplish what he's talking about here organically? I don't have to strategize. I don't want you to get up in the morning and go, humble, humble. Okay, I am so humble. I hate it when people do this too. You give them a compliment and they go, oh, no, 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 no. No, please, no. I learned a long time ago, if somebody gives me a compliment about teaching, I thank them. I tell them, thank you. I try and point them to Jesus, but I always tell them, well, thank you. That's real nice of you to say. I don't go, oh, no, 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 you don't know. I'm dirt. Just understand. I'm so low. They don't even open the doors when I go out. I just go under them. I'm so meek and low. (laughs) Stop it. Don't do that. But I think we should really change the world. I'm bummed. I'm bummed where we're at. 
culturally as a nation. Breaks my heart. I don't care if we have different ideas. I don't expect everybody to agree with me. Some of you even right now, you're, you're still stuck on that baptism thing. That's all you can think about right now. You haven't even moved off of that yet. You're still there. That's okay. We don't have to think alike. But we have to be unified going forward. And unity means sometimes you just keep your mouth shut. And you go forward. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we are encouraged here, the one thing I am completely convinced of, chapter four, one through six, and then seven through 16, and then on and on, chapter five, chapter six, none of that, none of that will ever be true in our lives without chapters one, two, and three being a reality for us. That I'm convinced of. Oh, we can fake it, But if you fake humility long enough, you become prideful. If you fake meekness long enough, you hit somebody. So Lord, I pray that we would be people who are encouraged in our hearts to meditate on who we are in Christ. Go back and read one, two, three. Let that begin to sink in and more than that, let it be something that we believe is true then we can meditate on four, one through six. And I thank you, I thank you, God, that you have done a work in us to change us. Now I pray that you would grow stronger and stronger and stronger in each one of us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and chapters one through three haven't happened in your life. In other words, you haven't given your heart to Jesus, your life to Jesus. You've never come to the place where you've accepted the fact that you're a sinner and you need your sins forgiven. Tonight's the night. The reality can begin right now, right where we're at. And I just wanna encourage you, man, take a step forward, not a step back. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everyone in here, every person breathing in here has sinned. That's the reality. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death. And not so much physical death, although that's part of it, but speaking directly, it's death meaning separated from God. And so if you've committed a sin, you're separated from God. You've offended a holy and righteous God. And what you deserve is his eternal punishment. That's what the Bible says. That's all bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, he took the punishment you deserve. That wrath you deserve, he took it upon himself He paid the price. And now tonight, here's what he's doing. He's holding out for you this receipt that says, paid in full. I took care of it. All you have to do is believe in him. And so I'm gonna help you express that, I hope. 
And I'm gonna say a prayer. You can repeat this prayer with me out loud. You can repeat it silently, but it's gotta be sincere from your heart. You've gotta mean it. It's gotta be real. If you're watching online tonight, hey, you can say this prayer with us. And you can call on the name of the Lord right where you're at. If you're backslidden, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. His heart is that you would return. Our heart is that you would return. So again, say this prayer with us. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. And God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, God, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you tonight to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart and you said that prayer and you meant it sincerely, I, wanna, I want you to put your hand up in the air so we can pray for you and celebrate with you and encourage you. Anyone in here tonight, greatest decision you'll ever make. I see yours up front here, God bless you. Anyone else? Father, I pray for that individual who, who raised their hand and anyone else who might have said that prayer, Lord, just touch their hearts. And even as we sing tonight, check your shame at the door. I pray that they would understand that by your blood, their guilt and their shame is gone. It's washed away. Even when, even when the enemy or others try and heap it on, it's gone. They've been set free from that by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been set free from the bondage of sin. And tonight, those individuals for the first time are wrapped in robes of righteousness. Bless them, encourage and strengthen. And God, for all of us, we, we, those same things are true of us. And God, let us walk worthy of the calling by which we were called. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.